Hello, what's up? This is Aiden Jones, and you're listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday, the 29th of June, 2021. How the fuck are you, cunt? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay, actually. I've had a lovely, slow morning. This is the first thing I've said all day. Hey! <laughs> hey! <laughs> Well, hey, welcome to Sitting Under a Tree. Ugh. Imagine if that was the podcast, some chirpy fucking radio presenter cunt. Ugh. Welcome to Sitting Under a Tree. <laughs> um, lovely morning. Lovely. I woke up at uh, the, oh, the glorious time of 9.30, I believe. Got out of bed there, rolled over, saw that the AstraZeneca vaccine is available for all members of the Australian public. Thank you very much, Scott Morrison, you cucky little fucker do. Um, that's nice. I might get my jab. Huh? How about it? I might get my motherfucking jab. Surely there's got to be good chat, big shout outs to Good Chat Comedy in Brisbane. Because they have um, just put up a uh, an offer. Anyone who's had their first jab gets into their shows, their Wednesday or Friday shows for free. And that fucking rules. Oh, God. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I seem to be a little tired. Let me have a sip of tea. It must be that 9.30 wake-up call. It's got me yawning and fucking... <laughs> Oh, good hot tea. Fuck yeah, suck me off. Um, big shout-outs to Good Chat Comedy in Brisbane. For anyone who's had their first jab there gets free entry into their, their Wednesday and Friday shows. If you're in Brisbane, I don't think I've got any listeners in Brisbane, but if you are, or if you've somehow broken the New South Wales fucking hard border to get to Brisbane and bring COVID to those people, get your vaccine. And while you're spreading COVID, you can also... <laughs> get free entry into a couple comedy shows. Um, I just re- like, surely there's got to be at some point a bit of the private sector taking on the weight to like promote, you know, fuck, maybe I should do that. Maybe that's a way to promote this podcast. Like what I'm saying is I want to get my vaccine and surely places are going to start offering deals for people who have had deals for people who have had uh, their first shot or they're full vaccinated or whatever, just as a bit of an incentive. And maybe I can offer that with this podcast. (laughs) What can I do? How can I promote the podcast and fight vaccine hesitancy in one fell swoop? Um, What about fucking, I could do like a marketing campaign on Instagram as well. Like if you've had your first vaccine jab um, and then like... (laughs) Listen, like, find in the podcast, find the thing. Um, maybe if, all right, okay. <laughs> if you, if I'll give five dollars, it's always five bucks, it's always monetary. I'll give five bucks to the first person. No, not the first, because what, all right, here's, uh, let me walk you through my thought process here. I want to do an ad on Instagram that's like free money if you've been vaccinated, right? (laughs) 
And then when they click on the ad, they realize that the way to get the free money is you have to listen to my podcast. (laughs) Okay. And then (laughs) when you listen to the podcast, you... Oh, God, the new listeners are just flying out the door at the moment. Anyone, if I end up doing this and people are listening uh, because of that promotion, you're fucking, I'm so sure that you are fucking hating this. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, you know what? Welcome, because this is the podcast. All right, so, yeah, here's the deal. If you're listening up to this point, $5 to anyone who can prove to me that they've been vaccinated. Send me your bank details and I'll send you the money with the code. Oh, what do I want the code to be? Um, Vaccination friends. (laughs) That's it. If you message me with the code vaccination friends and your bank details, Australian bank. Oh, you know what? Internationals as well. I'm only going to advertise this to Australians, but if you're international and you're getting this, I'll transfer you, I'll transfer wise you fucking five Australian dollars in, you know, equivalent in your local currency of choice. Um, maybe we'll do Bitcoin. Who knows? I don't know how it's going to work. Anyway, if you're vaccinated, you get five bucks with the code vaccination friends. That's the offer for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to sitting under a tree with your host, me, comedian, uh, Aiden Jones. <laughs> By all accounts, a comedian. All right. So yeah, lovely morning. Very excited about that. Excited to get me first fucking jab. Get it in my arm, man. Honestly. Um, I uh, actually that for that just reminded me that little thing that I just fucking whatever that was that I did then. I don't know if I've even spoken about this. I think I have. I've been doing, uh, I've changed my name on Google to uh, Aiden Jones Professional Google Reviewer. <clears throat> and I've been reviewing places. Whenever I take pictures of people taking pictures, which is something that I love to do, as we all know, it's getting weirder by the day. Um, I, uh, I've i noticed on my phone that it, it, like, you take a picture in a place and then if you go to the picture, it knows where you took the picture. And so it tells you, like, you took it here. And then if you click on that, it takes you to Google Maps and it asks you to review the place that you went to because Google Maps want reviews. Um, it's really becoming a thing, man. Google Maps, last, like, this weekend just gone, me and my girlfriend and a few of our mates went to a place. Um, we went to a place uh, to celebrate my girlfriend's birthday. Uh, Balan is the name of the town, just, like, west of Melbourne. And uh, we stayed in this Airbnb and the people there were so lovely. They absolutely fucking ruled, by the way. If you ever get to... uh, Grey's Balan was the name of the place. And they're a a couple. They have a few little caravans. It's kind of like a not quite camping, but not quite a hotel situation. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like we stayed in caravans as a campfire area, but there's like indoor um, like dining and a nice bathroom, whatever but there is also camping. Um, but anyway, I was talking to the lady who runs the place and, uh, she was saying like, you know, obviously review us on Airbnb, but the real one is to get Google reviews because that's the one that makes the actual difference. Cause when people search for stuff on Google, it's right there. So 
Google, I think, are really pushing to try and make their reviews something that are like important and carry weight and whatever. And so they're pushing for people to to leave reviews about their stuff. And it keeps like telling me, you know, I have talked about this. That's right. Because then I was like talking about how I want to leave goofy reviews and then that'll send people towards my comedy, which I think is just a fucking pipe dream. But anyway, I did one uh, for the mill in Castlemaine because after we stayed at this place for a few nights uh, on Sunday, me and my girlfriend went to this place, the mill, and it's a... um, it's like a vintage market in Castlemaine and fuck, it absolutely rocks. But here's the review that I left and then I'll talk about what I was trying to do with this particular review. Uh, I got a picture of a man taking a picture of some people playing table tennis at the entry of the mill. Five stars. I don't know why I ever spent hours rummaging around vintage markets in the city when all I needed to do was come out to the country and find the most incredible stuff imaginable. This place rules. I guess it's because people from the country are idiots and they don't know what nice stuff looks like, so they just throw it out. Who knows? Anyway, they also have a ping pong table in the front entrance and I managed to snap a picture of someone photographing the proceedings. Lovely little Sunday. We'll definitely be back. Smiley face. Now... Sorry, let me. I think I'm going too quick here. Have a sip of tea, Aiden. Just relax. I've got some messages. Don't read them right now. You're doing your podcast. <laughs> so, what I was thinking about there, and what's made me kind of think of that when I was just doing that that podcast thing, was like, I guess that promotional idea for the podcast is very. Um, it's almost like suck shit like it's like i'm tricking you into listening to my podcast and i'm very open about that's what i'm doing right like i'm very open about the fact that hey i'm tricking you because i just want you to listen because i think the people who are gonna like this once they start listening they'll like it regardless of whether they feel like they've been tricked into listening or not and the people who won't like it there's no amount of cajoling that i can do to make them like it so the whole thing is to just to get people listening to the podcast and then hopefully some people will like it. Right. So that, oh, how is that connected to this? I guess it's kind of aggressive, isn't it? It's just like suck shit. I've made you listen to this. And the whole point is to not be scared of doing the thing that I actually want to do, which is just to force people to listen to this podcast. And what I'm doing in this Google review, when I said, um, people in the country are idiots. I think I've been scared in these reviews because they're very facing. They're like public facing and they're, you know, directed at people who don't know me. They don't know that I'm a comedian, even though I've put professional Google reviewer. (laughs) I don't know who I am or that I'm trying to be funny. And so I'm kind of scared to say what I actually think, which is, yeah, people in the country are idiots. Like it's fucking crazy, man. This place, the mill, it's like all of these different stores. And I just was thinking like, why does this exist out here? And not in the city. Because in the city, like, you go to the Savers in fucking Brunswick, might as well be just, like, a bin. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm sure the good stuff goes there, but it gets snapped up so quick because it's in Brunswick. Like, it's... Not only is it around a place where a bunch of people live, also Brunswick is just, like, a kind of destination place for, you know, like, people who... They've heard about Brunswick. Oh, Brunswick's so cool. I was about to say people who want to be cool or hipsters or whatever. I don't know. I was trying to say, I was about to say something very um, self-aggrandizing and 
You know what? I don't even know what that word means. I was about to say something very like putting myself on a pedestal. Because I live in Brunswick and I think it's so sick to live in Brunswick. But the Sabres in Brunswick is just that a lot of people go there and the good stuff gets snapped up because it's in Brunswick. But in Castlemaine, there's this huge thing. Like it's like a, a massive warehouse. I could have. It's like fucking four times bigger than the Brunswick Savers, and all the stuff in there is so much nicer. I got a pair of boots for eighty five dollars that fit me. They're leather boots. They're nice. They're called Nicks. Like the brand of them is Nicks. Like someone called Nick made a boot and wrote his name on it. Nicks. Nicks boots. And they're just good. And there was heaps of good stuff there. Good clothes, jackets. Nice homewares, little like porcelain things and little containers and painted stuff and pictures and records and just like, you would never find that concentration of good vintage stuff in the city and um, it just made me think, what the fuck is wrong with all these people out here that they don't pick this stuff up? I mean, why is it out there? It makes me like want to go to Castle. I mean, we weren't even in Castlemaine. It was an hour drive and we drove out there because we heard about this place. I don't actually think that people in the country are idiots, but I kind of thought that that was funny to say, but I was scared to say it because people don't know me when they when I'm reviewing that thing. Like I'm scared. The situation in my head is like, what if someone reads that and goes, this guy's calling people in the country idiots. I'm a person in the country. I'm not an idiot. I'm offended. I'm going to write back to this person and say, fuck you. And because I, I don't want people to come at me, you know, saying, fuck you. I don't want people to, to be angry at me. I don't want people to not like me. Mo- uh, most of all, out of anything that I do, the goal is for people to like me. And so I was scared to say something that I thought was funny, which is to call people in the country idiots because they have a nice, <laughs> a nice vintage store in their town. So I've been thinking about this idea a lot recently actually um <clears throat> i'll tell a story that i told on stage last night i uh i was at work yesterday i worked with this guy who um was you know like a pretty decent guy whatever like we were chatting and he's uh he loves flying he wants to be in the air force we we're talking about that he loves making like electrical things and stuff he's got a passion is what i'm saying it was really cool to talk to him about that and then uh I was talking about doing comedy and we liked the same comedians. And so this guy, uh, told me, I didn't realize it was a joke when he started talking. I just thought he was telling me a story, right? So the story was, he goes, I was in a bakery and, um, this guy with like, you know, a shaved head and like this kind of few tattoos and stuff was standing in line and the lady in front of him ordered, uh, some, gluten-free bread and this guy got really angry he was going like gluten-free bread what the fuck that's bullshit fucking gluten-free that's not fucking real bread like having a go at this girl for ordering gluten-free bread and this guy telling the story goes and I stepped in you know and I said man you know don't have a go at her she can order whatever bread she wants and this guy's like nah it's fucking bullshit this gluten-free bread it's not real bread and I go to the guy what kind of bread do you like And he goes, and then at this moment, the guy telling me the story looks at me and does the Nazi salute. And at the same time goes, white flower. 
Right. So that's the joke. And he told me that joke. And I didn't know that he was... Jo- I don't know that it was a joke. I didn't know that he was joking. I thought... Because he didn't preface it with like, I want to tell you a joke. He just started telling me this story. I was in a bakery the other day, you know? So when he said the punchline, I didn't think, oh, that's a punchline to a joke that this person's telling me. I thought, oh, this guy is still telling me a story, but now it's clear that the story is not about this argument. It's about an insane man who he saw in the bakery. Like, do and like, is the guy in the story telling a joke? Is that what it is? Like the guy in the story has just gotten angry at this girl just so that he can do a, a like a pun to someone. So I was kind of confused anyway. And then the dude telling me the story goes, oh, you didn't like my joke. And I'm like, oh, it was a joke. That's the confusion. And then we'd been talking about Norm MacDonald. And this guy was like, yeah, it's like a Norm MacDonald joke, which fucking, all right, mate. <laughs> That's a bit of an overreach. Um, Norm MacDonald, a comedian from Canada who tells incredible, these like long shaggy dog stories with like silly punchlines but I realized the difference between a Norm Macdonald joke and this guy's joke is Norm Macdonald when he tells his jokes they are long rambling stories but he lets everyone in on the fact that he knows that it's not real and the audience knows that it's not a real story and he knows that they know and they know that he knows and no 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 because he puts all these little I mean it's crazy it's like one of the best comics in the world and this fucking guy working at a removalist company is like, I told a Norm Macdonald joke. It's like, no, you fucking didn't, idiot. Anyway, all of that aside, I thought about why the joke didn't work. And I was like, I reckon the reason it didn't work is because I thought that you were just telling me a real story. Whereas when Norm Macdonald does it, we know that he's telling a joke. And also he has all of these elements of pacing and timing and all of the stuff that he has at his command that this fucking <laughs> pilot <laughs> working at a removalist company does not, right? But I said, you know, all right, let me try and fix your joke up because I'm a comedian and, and I like to think about that kind of stuff. So I said, what about this? What about what kind of bread does a... Uh, does a Nazi like? What's a Nazi's favorite kind of bread? White flour, right? That's like a one-liner version of, that's the same punchline, but what, and this guy goes, I don't like that joke. And I'm like, what do you mean? You Like, that's your joke. It's the same joke, but I've just shortened it so that you can, so that we can be clear at what the punchline is. I've distilled it down to the basic element. All the other stuff that you had in there was superfluous. Anyway, I don't know why I'm starting to get up on all my high horse. Like, I know how to write comedy. Like, I need to prove to this guy, you know. We didn't have the same sense of humor, that's for sure. Anyway, so later in the day, we were at lunch. And uh, I hope this guy doesn't listen to this because it is weird to be talking about someone else. But I feel good about it because I did say all of this stuff to him. I didn't, I'm not talking out of school, I don't think, as much as I'm putting it on a podcast. I'm not mentioning his name, and I also just, I don't know. We had these conversations openly, so I feel like I'm allowed to report it. Um, later on in the day, we're sitting in the truck, and we're about to get lunch, and these two very young, like 12-year-old girls walk past, and this guy goes like, oh, yeah, I'd smash that. Like, which one of those would you smash? Which I've, you know, 
like that. I didn't like that at all. And he kept going. He was just like, you know, man, if you had to uh, fuck two people with the combined age of 21, what would you do? And I'm like, man, I, you know, I don't like this. And I eventually had to say to him, like, can you stop? Just stop. You know, this is not my idea of a fun day at work to just be sitting here listening to you talking about fucking children. And um, he kept kind of going, and this is what I'm, I guess this is what I'm talking about, about, um, what was I talking about? <laughs> about being brave enough to do a thing, right? Because my kind of, br- like, I feel like those jokes, you know, where you go like, let me just say the worst thing possible right now. Those are kind of jokes that I've made in my life, right? It, and it comes from a place of like, <clears throat> for me, this is what I said to this guy. Maybe I can't speak for him and, you know, I do think about things a lot and and try and ascribe meaning to sometimes meaningless actions or events. But for me in my life, when I've made jokes like that and when I've tried to, you know, just like say a fucked thing to try and make people laugh and go, ha-ha, wow, isn't that fucked? Where that comes from is a, a need to have people paying attention to me and like a desire for people to like me but also a fear of if I actually do something sincerely showing myself and being vulnerable, what if they don't like it? So the best way that I can explain that is, um, and I might have even talked about this in the past because it's an example that I've used before, but I used to have, uh, when I was like 19, I used to have a jacket and it was this like bright, actually the first existing photo of me doing stand-up, I'm wearing this jacket. <clears throat> and it was like this bright fluoro, all these different lines and fluoro colors and shit coming out. It was garish and it didn't fit me. It was a big hoodie. It was like a really heavy hoodie and it didn't fit me at all. My mate gave it to me. I didn't even buy it because that's how little responsibility I took for my own appearance and that when I was younger. Um, and I just treated it like shit, you know, I would like fucking do drugs and get blood noses and just like wipe my blood on the sleeve of the jacket. And, um, people would tell me like, what are you doing wearing that jacket? Like my friends would be like, why are you wearing this jacket? It doesn't look good. And I was always like, fuck you. I reckon it looks good. I'm going to wear it. And my friends were trying to help me. They were trying to let me know that they wanted me to look good and that this thing didn't look good. But where I was at at that point and like what I also used to like, I used to wear these baggy jeans and I would like do them up with like safety pins because they were too long for me, but I didn't want to get them taken up or I wasn't aware that that was an option. And so I would like pin them up, pin like the bottoms up and then the pins would like rip the denim. And so the jeans would just be like shredded on the bottom, but I would just keep wearing them and all this stuff. And, um, I was the reason I kept wearing that stuff wasn't because I genuinely thought it looked good. As I've gotten older and reflected on my own behavior, what I was doing was I was scared to wear or to even think and contemplate about what I actually thought might look good. Like if I wanted to dress really well and tried to dress really well and sincerely made an effort to do something that I thought was good, then I would run the risk of like leaving the house dressed in however I thought looked good. And then having people look at me and go like, oh, you think that looks good? Like, and say that I, you know, that they didn't like it. 
It's like offering yourself up for rejection. If you try, there is the possibility that you will fail and that failure, because you sincerely tried, hurts because it hurts to fail at something that you've tried to do. And so when I left the house every day when I was 18, 19, 20, I would dress myself in a way that would protect myself from failure. So I wasn't trying. I would just put on this fucking Technicolor jacket because I was too scared to wear something that might actually be seen as like, oh, look at him. He's trying. Like in my mind, maybe a suit or something, you know? Like if I wear a suit, even on my 19th birthday, I wore a fucking powder blue suit, which, you know is like, that's not someone trying to look good. That's someone making fun of other people who wear suits, right? Um, and as I've gotten older and I reflect on that, I think it's like, I kind of feel sorry for that younger version of myself because I think it's a really weak behavior to be scared to try for fear of failure. And so rather than try, to not try and to actively make a big show of like, look at how much I'm not trying because I'm... I, I, I'm not going to let you judge me, so fuck you. Have I made my point? I feel like I've been making the same point for fucking five minutes now. So I understand that. And so when that guy yesterday was making that joke about like, oh, you know, which one of these underage girls would you like to fuck? And I was like, neither. And he was like, he kept going. He was like, come on, man. But like, if you had to, you know, like if God said like, you have to, I'm like, I no, I just don't want, I don't like this man. And he just kept going. I'm like, stop. But he was doing it in a way that he was trying to be funny. And like, I felt, I kind of felt sorry for him because it was just like, you don't have to do this, man. Like you can, I know you want to be funny and I want you to be funny and I want to be funny with you, but like actually try and be funny rather than just trying to say some awful fucking thing to get a rise out of me. Maybe just sincerely try to be funny. Yeah. I don't know. It really bummed me out and made me feel sorry for the dude. And then I tried to put that to him later and I don't know. I actually, to be honest, I still don't believe his answer when he was just like, I think you're overthinking it, man. I think some things are just blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I think, no, actually, I'm not overthinking it. I think I'm right, but it's not really that important. Like it doesn't, it's not important for me and this guy to have a relationship that's like where we get to the bottom of this thing. Who cares? You know, we're just two people who met each other and we work together for a day and we don't need to see eye to eye on everything. And maybe we won't see eye to eye on everything. However, outside of that, I still think I'm right. <laughs> and that's my arrogance, I guess. Um, but where it comes back to this thing about the Google reviews is I've been scared to say, I just, I've just been scared to say what I think, you know, the mill castle main. I've been scared to say, you know, maybe these people from the country are idiots. Cause I'm scared to, all right, we get the point. I thought that was going to come around to like a stronger conclusion, but ultimately not so much. I've just watched um, Rory Scovel's. Where is it? Here. Boo, 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 boo. Rory Scovel's Live Without Fear. Fuck, it was so good. Um, on YouTube, check this. Uh, Rory Scovel 
is an incredible comic from the US and uh, he's always done this thing where he just goes on stage and is really like open to spontaneity and 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 like kind of living in the moment. And this is what I've been talking about with my stand-up in the last few weeks. Actually, last night I had a set at Local Laughs in St Kilda at the local tap house. That was like one of my favorite sets that I've had in such a long time because I told that story that I just told then. I obviously told it in a much more abridged and shorter version. I didn't take fucking 10 minutes to tell it on stage because that would just be a bomb. But I told that story, a bit of that story, and because uh, that was just what I cared about on stage because I've realized, again, I mean, I've, I feel like I've been in this position years ago where I know like I just have to talk about the thing that I care about on stage right now. But then every now and then I get away from that feeling because I, I, I fucking... Like, sometimes I feel like I care about a thing strongly enough, but then other times I feel like I don't. Or maybe I feel like I need to do well because I want to prove something to someone in the audience or to myself or whatever. So I don't talk about the thing that I care about. I do the jokes that I just know will work. And I trade the chance of having an amazing set where I'm completely in the moment and myself. I trade that for the security of knowing that I'm not going to bomb. And, uh, yeah, I kind of did, I've kind of, I've, I slip, I always slip back into that, into that security. You know, I always, I remember, I have moments where I remember it's important to talk about the stuff that you care about and, and, you know, be who you are in the moment. And then I slip back. I forget that revelation and slip back into like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna not bomb. And this thing that Rory Scovel did, he's the kind of comic who fucking is not scared. Comic, maybe artist. Like, he calls himself an artist. He talks about his art. This this documentary, Live Without Fear, it's an hour and 15 minutes, and it's uh, him doing six nights in a row with no material at uh, this theatre. What's it called? Relapse Theatre in Atlanta. And, uh, it's his sets through the week. And then the other thing running parallel to that is the story of the guy who, who, um, who runs this theater, who like stole the building and I just go watch it. I'm not going to tell the story cause then you won't watch it. Go and watch it. He stole the building. It's incredible. He stole a building, this guy, and he runs a theater there and it's been going for like 15 years, almost 20 years. Fuck. It's amazing. And, uh, and what Rory's talking about in the thing is this idea of like going on and like living without fear. I mean, it's called live without fear. It's like, have no fear, go on and just be who you are in the moment and like try and search for that and try and go forwards towards that. And, um, I guess that ties into everything that I've been talking about, doesn't it? Yep, I feel like I just ran out of steam again. Let me have a, another little sip of this tea of dwindling heat. How far through am I here? Yeah, cool. I've been reading this book as well. Um, I've been thinking a lot about art this week, I think, and myself as an artist and just trying to, I don't know, I'm focusing a lot of attention at the moment on my art. I wrote a list of, um, not even a list, but just three things that are like, I want to do by the end of the year for this year. I want to have my special 
filmed and edited and everything and have it be out on YouTube. That's number one. Number two, I want to have my new show. Actually, no, number one is have the new show like have done it 20 times. I'm, that's something that I'm focusing on right now is trying to find or make for myself opportunities to do an hour of stand-up of these new jokes in front of people. And so um, at the moment, my focus is recording the show until the 22nd of July when I record it, which by the way, tickets will be up, I reckon, by the end of this week. So if you're in Melbourne and you want to come and watch me be in, and be in the audience when I record my special, please come to that on the 22nd of July. Um, but then once I do that, all of my energy is going to be focused on getting this new show written so that I can take it to the festivals next year. So there's that. Get the new show written and I want to perform it like 20 times in front of audiences. Uh, and then I want to do, yeah, I want to have the show recorded. And then the third thing is I want to put the podcast out. And those are my three goals for the end of the year. The, the new podcast about that ties in with the show. I think I'm going to call it Themes. I don't love the title, but I think it just needs a title. I pitched it to the ABC guy. We'll see what happens with that. Anyway, I've been thinking about myself as an artist and about, you know, where I want to go, what direction I want to go in and how I want to kind of improve the thing that I do and get better at it and also just have fun. Because that's another thing that I remembered last night on stage. Man, I remembered this fucking story. Nick Cody... um, the comedian who is like, he's Nick Cody is like one of the comics who I guess I've always kind of looked up to in comedy because he's like a few years ahead. And there's a few guys. There's like Nick Cody, Dave Quirk. Those are the two that kind of come to mind, both Melbourne guys. And we're just always around doing shit and just always killing, you know? And, uh, I remember years ago, I think I'd been living in the UK for a year. So it must've been like 2015 and I was in the Edinburgh Fringe up there again doing spots. Maybe it was even the third year. I can't remember. Whatever. And I saw Nick Cody at the Fringe. He was there. And uh, I saw him at a bar. And I went up to him. Like I saw him and I guess he was... I, th- I feel like he was there with a girl. So maybe that's like his girlfriend at the time or someone... And it was just them two, but I like interrupted their conversation because I was so excited to see him. And he was just like this fucking cool comic from back home who I knew, who I felt like I could talk to. And that made me feel good, you know, because I'm like, I know this guy. I know people. I'm a comedian. And I was so excited to see him and to prove to him how well I was doing that I just started rambling. I was like, man, it's so sick. I've been living in London and I'm doing all these gigs and I'm doing, you know, these runs and this like country gigs and I'm here in Edinburgh. I'm just doing heaps of spots and just kind of rattled off all the stuff that I was doing at that moment. And um, he just kind of sat there smiling like he's the nicest dude ever. And he just like listened to it, to this barrage of facts about my life, douche, 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 and let it kind of wash over him, smiled at me. And then uh, when I was done, he just went, that's awesome, man. Are you having fun? And that that hit me like a ton of bricks. Are you having fun? It pierced me because it was like all this stuff that I was doing, the first thing that I wanted to say to him was just, hey, look at all the things I'm doing. And it was almost like I had lost sight of the reason that 
anyone would do this. Like, why else would you do It's because you want to have fun. You want to do it. Actually, here's another thing. Fuck, I'm, I just, I'm full of little examples of how I feel. Alessio Carducci wrote this on uh, the Melbourne Comedy Rooms Hub the other day. Alessio Carducci is a newer comic in Melbourne and he runs a gig at Dirty Secrets, which have just been running so many gigs lately. They're doing God's work and they're fucking amazing dudes. He's written, he's just been writing these long like rants on the Rooms Hub and I fucking love them. When he announces gigs, he's like, there's a gig and also this is how I feel. He said, if you're coming this Arvo and you've never run a gig, I just hope you know, I think you're about as useful as the nine Allen keys that I have on my desk. But if you have never put on a gig, but you want to be a comedian and you don't come to this gig, I'm going to think even less of you. Why the fuck are you doing comedy if you're not going to fucking hustle and take the opportunity to get better? Sure, most gigs are wastes of time but so is working at Coles unless you have something else in life that brings you any joy (laughs) I mean that's it isn't it unless you have anything else in life that brings you any joy that's the reason that we all do it it's comedy it's to be happy it's because we love it and it's fun and like focusing on all of this stuff of these are the things I'm doing and this and that and this is just like well are you enjoying it that's the whole point mate the point is to have fun. I had fun on stage last night. I had fun. I had so much fun on stage last night. I was talking to some lady who had got fired from her job, but she kind of wasn't making any sense, and I was making fun of her. I just When she said, I got fired this week, I said, suck shit, and laughed at her. <laughs> it was fun. That's the whole point. Anyway, I've been reading this book. I'll probably end on this because I feel like I've done a bunch of time. Um... We're in this book called The Art of Being Melbourne that I found at a market last weekend. Not this weekend, just gone. The one before. Um, I found it at a market in Melbourne, which feels like more of a, you know, feels like more of an achievement. Anyone can find good stuff at the markets in Castlemaine because people from the country are stupid. In the city, you got to outsmart and outwit all the other people in the city who are smart because they live in the city. And so if you find something good... In a market in the city, you know you fought for that thing. You've earned it. And I earned this book. I've been thinking a lot lately. I've been finding myself, I guess, like kind of drawn to things that are about Melbourne. Maybe because of all the lockdowns and everything, I just feel a lot more attached, you know, to this place. And the sense of place is feeling like more and more important. It's... The imprint on the book is Coot. Now, I don't know what that means, if that's the publisher or if that's... Fuck, I'm going to lose my page here. Oh, God. I'm just fumbling around with this book. Why can't I fucking come on? Mary Coot. All right, that's the person who wrote it. So it's a, it's an art, it's a history of Melbourne told through art that is about Melbourne. So mostly paintings. I think it's all going to be paintings and street art. It's like visual art, you know, that kind of medium paintings, some like lithograph stuff, whatever, sketches. Um, but they're, they're, they're drawings of Melbourne from the first time of colonization. Now I'm aware this is a very Eurocentric uh, narrative. Doesn't share a lot of the indigenous stories, um, but that's the book that it is. So I'm aware of that. 
that that's a shortcoming, but also that's just what the book is. All right, sorry. Um, but anyway, it's a, a history of yeah the settlement of Melbourne from 1835. The first one, Joseph Panton, uh, the first government residence in Melbourne in 1837. That's the first one that we have here. And it's just a hut. It's just a village. It's not even a village. It's just a fucking hut in a field. And it's like, that's Melbourne. And then it's all of these paintings through Melbourne and the people who wrote them. And what I'm loving about it is like, obviously the work is good. The, you know, the images, but this person, Mary Coote, has also, she's, I guess, an art historian because she explains the art. She tells the stories of the artists. And my favorite one so far is this lady, Clarice Beckett. Um, here's the opening paragraph. Clarice Beckett devoted her, her life to art, but struggled for both income and recognition amidst the austerity and prejudice of her time. Uh, by the way, she was 1887 to 1935 was when she lived um, struggled for recognition and income amidst the austerity and prejudice of her time imbued with a powerful sense of place and driven to express that deep connection to her city Beckett achieved an originality in her work that is that in its day was much misunderstood with her career almost lost to the world to the war and depression years Beckett was all but forgotten until art curator and biographer Rosalind Holland Drake restored her to history in the 1970s and then it goes on to talk about this this lady Clarice Beckett she's um lived in Melbourne her whole life died at yeah 47 but she painted these images that are like really kind of misty um apparently I don't know this much about art but it's like thin paint covering so everything looks kind of foggy and like the, the, the objects, like there's a picture, I love this one of like boats on Prince's Bridge and all the forms of the boats are kind of distorted and like fuzzy, like you can't really see them, like you're looking through the fog or something like that. Um, the age at the time described her work as showing a charming ingeniousness which seems free of any hint of elaboration or effort. But a lot of... Oh, there was another one. Softly muffled form description. Oh, here, here, here. Her compositions were deemed empty. Her paint application thin, flat and broad. But these were deliberate economies she employed as a means to avoid indulgent detail. Beckett could express an image of nature as precise and fleeting as an image in a Japanese haiku. As revealed in passing trams, she was tuned to the subtle atmospheric intricacies of the moment whilst drifting towards a very original sense of abstraction. And now this is the best bit. In her later life, Beckett suffered increasing poverty. She did not marry, but lived at her family home in Beaumaris in order to care for her ailing and by then impoverished parents. Hardworking, dedicated and dutiful, this daughter of Monet died at just 48 years of age. Never having experienced the luxury of a studio space of her own, she wheeled her materials and easel about on a handmade cart, painting on location. Without the means for art supplies, many of her later works were painted on the cardboard cut from cereal boxes. But she was prolific nonetheless, and in 1971, Holland Drake... 
uncovered a cache of around 2,000 of Beckett's paintings abandoned to the elements in an open-sided shed in rural Victoria, dozens weather damaged beyond repair. Since then, Beckett's career has enjoyed a new regard with retrospectives in 1979 and a major touring exhibition in 1999 entitled Politically Correct. Clarice Beckett possessed an intimate connection to her place. Her singular discernment of Melbourne's essence gives history a very different portrait of the city. Unlike any before her, she uncovered the four seasons in one day reality of Melbourne and devised a unique painterly technique to express it. Beckett's insight, combined with her effortless and unconscious moves towards abstraction, mark her talent, independence and originality as decades ahead of its time. Now, I don't know exactly how I'm going to relate that back to myself and the thing that I'm feeling, but I mean, that kind of speaks for itself, right? Go and look up some of these images if you are interested. Maybe I'll chuck some, I'll chuck some of them up on the, um, on the fucking, on the Instagram this week. The taxi rank is beautiful. The last tram is just haunting. Oh, um, yeah, Princess Bridge. I mean, they're all amazing. I'll chuck some of these images up and, uh, I don't know, man, go into your fucking life, have fun, be inspired, do your things. I hope you have a great week. This has been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Peace.